I quoted a pastor in uh, New York. His name's John Tyson. He said, a creative minority is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knit together in a living network of persons who were committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the word world. And there's a, just a ton in that, in that statement. We are knit together as a network of people following Jesus and the way committed to each other, seeking the renewal of the world around us. We were created for that type of community. That type of community can change the world. Even a small creative minority, small minority can change the world. Last week we talked about that we are a practicing community. And that when we grow together towards each other, Jesus expects two things are going to happen. One, we'll mimic his relationship with the Father. And two, we will give validity to the message of Jesus. The relationships are not just because it's fun. It's not just because I like that activity or I like those people. Like there's something within the relationships that within the body of Christ in which they actually lead people to Christ and give validity to his message. So a fractured, disconnected church does the opposite. This is one of the reasons that scripture have so many woes and so many prohibitions to just treating each other without respect. Talking about each other behind their backs. Being divisive within a community. Scripture speaks against that because that does the exact opposite. It does not bring people to Jesus. It pushes them away. But we are a practicing community. And some of the core practices that we talked about are the practice of abiding, the practice of loving God, the practice of deep and abiding prayer and that changes our current realities, the expectation that our current realities will be changed. Praying in such a way that we truly believe God can move mountains. And a practice of meaningful and committed community. I share with you a quote from Glenn Stason and David Gushy last week. said, the church's moral task is not primarily to come up with the right beliefs about issues like euthanasia and peacemaking and then make sure that every member holds these right beliefs, nor is it to come up with the right set of timeless virtues and hope that every member will be virtuous. Instead, our central task is to discern which specific practices fit the kingdom of God and which attributes of community character are appropriate and fitting for people whose lives are surrendered to God. We want above all to be useful servants of the reign of God. And thus, with all of our heart, we seek to discern and then to put into practice a total way of life that advances God's kingdom. We're not just the bastions of virtue. And we're going to just hope that everyone is virtuous. We're not just a belief-centered community in which we just make sure everybody believes the right thing. There is something more organic to, to a community of faith following Christ together. And we've been very open that that's, this is one of the things that we see in these next, next few months and maybe years of our church's life. This is something that we are seeking to work continually towards to bring us together. And as we continue to think about where we meet, do we continue to meet here or are we moving somewhere else? And we, many in our leadership, we believe that it is time to consider moving to another location. And as we do that, we, it only makes sense that that would work if we're doing that for a purpose and that purpose to be a more authentic community that demonstrates Christ and moves people to renewal in the world around us. Maybe that does make us somewhat nomadic over the next period of time. Not forever, but some period. 
I was thinking about this week, just many of you have reached out over some of the conversations we've had and just talking about are we moving and whether we're moving and are, where would we go to and just praying for us. I, I couldn't help but be, just remember walking through Exodus. There was a time when the Hebrews, after leaving Egypt, needed a significant period of time just growing closer and closer to God in the desert. Perhaps that is a season that we're about to enter into Where God says, I need to prepare you for the thing that I'm ultimately leading you towards. And that may be, that is, I believe, this next season that we're in. But that only works if we're committed to one another in a way that brings renewal, not only among ourselves, but to those around us. Because this is a real thing. This This is not a gathering of people around a set of beliefs that someone made up. This is a real part of life in which we get to live this life not only with our Creator, but with each other in a way that adds to our lives. That we welcome people in with brokenness because while I know of some of the things that are breaking us in this room, there are many, many other things. I have no idea what's breaking you in your life. But I know that Jesus says in a community that is following Him, health and wholeness can be found. We are a practicing community. There are very tangible things we should be doing. Not just absorbing or sitting, but things we should be doing. And then that leads me to being a holy community. And it's most basic, the word holy usually means something like consecrated, set apart, sacred. Those are typically, I'm a couple of slides ahead of you, there you go. Typically, That's how we talk about it. And one of the problems with this type of definition of holiness is the church has sometimes practiced this level of holiness, of a set apart. We're different from you. You're not good enough for us. We push you away. Once you're good enough, you come in. I think a lot of that has changed over the last few years. And maybe it's just because our environment is different. I I remember being in churches... I remember sitting in my office one time in a church that I was pastoring and, and we had made some big pushes to make a difference in the community and to make uh, some stabs at helping with food insecurity in our area. And uh, we had a few people that were just really committed to doing that. And I remember sitting in my office and sometimes I would go in there and I had a desk lamp. I would turn, you know, all the lights off. Nobody knew I was there. I lived within walking distance from the church. And so I would walk there, turn all the lights off, have my little desk lamp on. I would just kind of sit there and read or sit there and think. Um, And I remember a group of people came in that didn't know I was there. And as we were talking about one of these stabs at at addressing food insecurity, they said, this is a small group. I knew who they were. I recognized their voices said, we just don't want those people in our church. And I thought, how is that possible that you can come as a broken sinner to the throne of grace to be received the mercy of Christ who does not hold our sins against us, who looks at all of the things that break us and says, but I love you and you are worthy and you are part of my family. How could someone who has received that ever ever utter the words, but we don't want them among us? I mean, ultimately, I don't think it is possible. I don't think you can experience Christ and hold to that view. Yeah, she doesn't either. She doesn't think so either. <laughs> but there's another side of holiness that is just that setting apart. That, holy, that definition of holiness is devoted or different. And this is what I want to talk with you about. 
What does it look like to be devoted and different in the culture in which we are living? We have a purpose. And one of the things I think we miss is the opportunity to be whole within us. There's a word that that um, practicing Jews or people who are, are born in Israel um, that identify with Jew, you know the Jewish faith or Jewishness is so interesting because it's both a faith and a nationality. So you can be Jewish and not practice the Jewish faith, or you can practice the Jewish faith and not be of the Jewish nationality. It's a very interesting dynamic. We don't have very many of those that we can witness within the world where it's a, both a nation and of faith they're so intertwined and you can choose between those two but often when they would pass one another they will utter a single word and that word is shalom whether you're coming or whether you're going it's kind of like when when we see each other how you doing see you later he said they got one word for all of that i mean they're even more efficient than we are and you know we don't even mean it half the time i you know, how you doing please don't tell me you know you know how that goes you're walking you got somewhere to go how you doing oh you are going to tell me but i do want to know by the way that makes me sound like if i say how you doing i really do want to know by the way but they'll come and they'll go and they'll just say shalom and this word shalom at its most basic root means peace however it means so much more than peace what they are wishing on each other is i wish you peace but beyond peace i wish you wholeness I wish you to be knit back together in the way that God created you so that you can fully experience humanity in the way that God wanted it to be. I wish you shalom. It is like the greatest gift of the Christian faith is the invitation to wholeness. I was talking with a pastor, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Made a comment. I've heard this comment before. I've used this. I've said this before. He said, "I just, I just want to get more people into heaven." And I couldn't stop myself. I just, I said, "Yeah, it's just not my goal anymore." It's not good when a pastor says, "Yeah, I'm not really trying to get people into heaven." Like, well, what kind of pastor are you? It's just not my goal anymore. If it's all about a formula that says you say these words and then when you die you get this really great thing. Like that just seems very inadequate for a world and the troubles that we experience in a world like this, doesn't it? In there, one day, guess what? You're going to die, and then it's going to get really better. That was never Jesus' message. His message was the kingdom is here now, like among you. When you pray, don't pray that you're going to die and go to heaven. Pray that that kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is, this is what he's offering us. And no ill will on the pastor I was speaking to. I, I know exactly what he was saying. And it's, it's you know, we, it, kind of in the church, we have a couple of streams. We have kind of an evangelical stream. And, and in some circles, the word evangelical has taken on a whole bunch of meaning that the word itself doesn't actually take on. But people have used it, and they're just very weird Christians. But at its core, evangelical is I want you to know this good news that you can be whole with Christ. And he's trying to say, I, I, I want people that don't know Jesus to know Jesus. That's what he was trying to say. But for me, there's, a, there's a, a very tangible thing that we're supposed to experience right now, and that's what I want for people. Heaven is like icing on the cake 
We still want the cake. We want to be whole. Yesterday, Deidre and a handful of people went through uh, the next session of trust-based relational intervention, and and it's de- dealing with trauma, just dealing with trauma. We all have trauma, but there are some people that their level of trauma, it, it reaches a, a place that it just breaks them in their childhood and beyond, and it takes a little bit of unwrap, unraveling the thing that caused trauma, primarily through the use of just loving them, but through a lot of other practical ways of doing that because we live in a world that is filled with trauma it's it's said about our our kids growing up that theirs is the most anxious generation of all time and so we've got to deal with that what is it about the world that has led a whole generation to be the most anxious of all time shalom is the idea of wholeness you can be whole. We talk about ethics or ethical living. Ethical living is meant to demonstrate that we are different, but more importantly, it is meant to be the way that we live that brings wholeness to our lives and to our communities. This is what ethics is supposed to do. We, we can use ethics like a weapon, and we can use ethics to bring wholeness. You cannot do both. So when we hold our ethics like a, a sword, you, you do not meet our ethical standards and we use it like a weapon. What have we done? Have we actually led anyone to believe that Christ has any answer for them? Well, likely not. It's meant to bring wholeness. I remember my first struggle with ethics when I became a believer. I became a, a true believer. I, I was baptized at eight, grew up in the church, But it wasn't until 15 I had to really say, I want Jesus or don't want Jesus. I didn't have to, but I had come to a place in my life where I was like, I can't keep doing life like this. Like, I feel empty. I feel broken. I feel no hope for the future. And I was only 15. I haven't lived any life yet. But I had that moment in which I came to Christ, and it was such a life-changing moment. I can can remember it as if it was today. He was there with me. He changed me. And, and, And my very first two things, which at the time, I mean, now don't feel big, but at the time they felt huge. The first two ethical things that I had to choose, one was we were getting in the van to go home from this retreat. And I'm like, I'm someone who wants to look consistent, like I... Nothing phases me. I like to look like nothing phases me. I don't know where I get that from, but I don't like. I like to look like I've got it together. Does anybody else have that struggle within life? Yeah, a few of you. And he said something really, something happened to you, didn't it? And I wanted to say, no. What are you talking about? I'm always like this. But I just said, yeah, yeah. Something's different. I don't really understand it, but this is different. I'm different. That was a first ethical choice for me because what I wanted to say was, no, man, I'm always like this. A few days later, I went home. I did something. I don't know what I did. Either I did. I can't remember what it was. I either did something or I didn't do something I was supposed to do. And historically, the way I would handle those things is just wait and see if I got caught. I don't know if any of you handled things like that when you're growing up or some of you were handling things like that right now, but that's how I handled things growing up. Like, if they don't catch me, did it really happen? You know, that was kind of my ethic growing up and more often than not they did catch me and then i found out they had spies throughout the city that would rat me out you know and so i i I did did something or didn't do something anyways it was one of those moments where typically i would have said let's see if they catch me but i was like no 
because I'm different. This is not what Jesus would want. This is not how I honor him. And I, I've, had such a, I have, I've had such an amazing experience with Christ. This is, I can't treat him like this. And I remember walking in, I was, I was in my bathroom looking in the mirror, looking at myself like, you're about to die, boy. You're about to die. But I walked in and I just confessed. And it was the first time I did something that I didn't get in trouble for. And I was like, what? And I felt like I honored Christ in that moment. Now, there are all kinds of ethical choices that make that look like it's the most insignificant, meaning, meaningless thing. But in that moment, at 15 years old, that was a significant ethical decision that prompted me to continue to make harder and harder ethical choices along the way. I want to be true to Christ. And this, this may come back to hurt me, but I want to be true to Christ. That is part of the ethics of, of the way that we that we live our lives, one in which the church today does not have the reputation that that is how we live our lives. If you're on social media at all, you've probably been following a story this week, and I'm always, I'm always hesitant to bring up kind of um, celebrity, cultural um, approaches to Christ, but I thought this was so fitting that I wanted to do it. There's a, there's a character, I say it's a, she's a character, it's a character by the name of Black China. Have you been following what's been happening this week with Black China? She rose to prominence into some, let's say, less than ethical means. And she had, an, she had a, a, about a year, a little less than a year ago, a significant experience with Christ, and it is absolutely changing everything about her. So she started posting... Um, she started posting some pictures. She made the news because she had undergone a tremendous amount of plastic surgery um, in order to uh, draw more attention um, as a sex symbol. She, she was at one time the highest paid contributor to OnlyFans. She was making like a million dollars a year um, just by doing inappropriate videos um, and stuff on OnlyFans, which is a pay-for service. And she was reaching a place of just deep brokenness in which she knew she had to make some level of change. And she made the news because she removed all of the things that made her look the way she looked, all the fillers and implants and all of the things that kind of gave her her iconic look. But then when they asked her why, this is when things really got amazing. And I'm, I'm going to quote just a few things that she said, and some of these, I don't know if you all follow... I, I, I know her name simply because, like, who's, whose name is that? You know, it's not even spelled right. Black's not spelled right. China's not spelled right. I mean, it's catchy, but uh, but I. So some of you may follow her on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but hopefully not on Only. If you follow her on OnlyFans, can I just encourage you before you leave today, delete OnlyFans. You should not have that on your phone. All right. Um, she said, "I was reborn on my birthday, five eleven twenty two. God is good is how she captioned her photo. She said, I'm not doing OnlyFans anymore. I'm kind of past that. It's one of those things where I did what I needed to do at that moment because of the circumstances I was in. Besides with me being baptized, that's just not what God will want me to do. Kind of degrading. Talking a million dollars a year income here. Another post, she said, born again on my birthday, 5 22 new beginnings. I mean, 
This is the Gospel being lived out in front of us. We're watching someone experience wholeness who, from all intents and purposes, I mean, they have reached the pinnacle of success. They have attention. They have money. They, 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 people know who they are. They have paparazzi following them around. And she's saying, new beginnings. A new life. Going on, she said that she now chooses to trust God in every step. And I thought this was pretty fascinating. She said she's been leaning on a support group of fellow Christians to provide prayers and spiritual guidance amid her life transformation. They're talking about community. As for the reason why she moved to Christian faith, she said it was born out of her desire to become whole. She said, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired of the same repetitive things, the reality star recalled. I thought, let me dig deep and see what it is that I'm doing wrong, because obviously there's something I'm not doing right, even if I think I am. Now I'm doing the right thing to the best of my ability so I can become whole. A few thoughts came to my mind as I was reading through some of her stories. For one, she was baptized almost a year ago, and this is all just happening. She just deleted her OnlyFans account, and she's just having all those things removed from her body. What kind of community was there for her when she was still doing those things? Because I grew up into some communities where you would be chastised and cast out. And yet, here is someone still doing things we would say, that's not very ethical in the Christian faith. But yet, whatever community she's a part of loved her and said, we're with you on this journey, no matter what this journey looks like for you. Now, for me, that is a devoted, different community. But I can't help but notice the draw for her was wholeness. Whole. When we talk about Christian ethics, the goal of Christian ethics is not that we have some arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. God really doesn't want you to have a good time. God really doesn't want you to be successful. God really doesn't want you to enjoy the things of the world. But instead, a Christian ethic is, I've experienced something that is so supernatural and so incredible and so mind-warping and so fulfilling. And I just want to live that life. There's a very real difference there. A holy community is a community that is committed to seeking wholeness apart from the fractured life that sin causes. Because this is what sin does. See, in the church, it's very easy to just get on a roll about sin is bad and sin will take you to hell. But Jesus didn't talk about sin like that. Jesus said, sin breaks you. Sin imprisons you. Sin oppresses you. Sin tricks you into a way of life that removes the option for wholeness. There's no greater confrontation of Jesus and sin than the woman caught in adultery when 
he just sat by her and said, who of you without sin cast the first stone? We don't know exactly what happened to this woman. There are all kinds of theories. But Jesus' response was, there's a better way if you want to choose it. And if you don't choose it, he says this. He says, where are your condemners? Because I do not condemn you. See, this thing about ethics in the church, it's, it's, it's overflowing, it's boiling because of the culture around us seems so anti-Christian ethics. And we feel, rightly so, the need to respond, but we respond in the way the culture responds, which is in anger and in shame. Two things Jesus never used to draw people to the community. And we've inherited that from a culture that we're supposed to be helping to change. But rather than changing them, we're bringing them into us and we're missing what christ wants to do among us a holy community is committed to seeking wholeness apart from the fractured life that sin causes proverbs 23 7 says for as he thinks in his heart so is he ethics is what we think in our hearts our Baymar group which is i've i've you know told you how meaningful that group is and the conversations that we have in there are and uh I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, one of our members, Greg, who's helping with, with our, uh, his idea was his bruise and views was really his idea. And uh, he said, hey, there's this other um, podcast you can listen to, and it's one, it's one of the Jewish teachers of Marty Solomon. He's not Messianic. He, he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's a Jewish rabbi. But he's talking about um, ge- uh, Genesis, really Genesis through Exodus. He's talking about the tree of life is really the whole focus of this season and he comes to the last episode i don't know if you greg have listened to the last episode yet but he comes to the last episode in the season and he, he sums up the season like this he, he he says the tree of life in many ways is that place of being with god and in that being what happens is trauma enters into our lives as a result of just living in this broken fractured world and what ends up happening once trauma begins to enter in is it severs the line from our hearts to our minds and rather than being integrated in how we feel and how we think we get it we we fracture that we cut that line and now our head says one thing and our heart says another thing and once we've got that kind of confusion going on without us we're no longer whole we're no longer integrated we're in a place where we can't really experience the eternal life that god is talking about here much of what he doesn't say this i say this much of what christ is seeking to do is to restore that line from head and heart into the place in which we were created to walk to fully love and experience God and each other. It's just integration that trauma is this fracturing and the gospel is this reintegration. I do think this is what holiness is. It's a consistent community that lives what they claim to believe. But for those of you who are sitting here saying, I believe this should be consistent And I believe that we should live what we say we believe, but there are some things I just find so difficult and so hard, and I just, I can't get over it, so I must not be a Christian, or I must not be good enough, or God must be mad at me. One of the reasons we call this place Journey, and one of the things that we see in this story about Black China, is we see a journey to wholeness. Not a before and after. 
but a process of progress. And that is what we're called to. So if you sit here and you go, I'm str- I can't get over this. If you continue to follow Christ and obey His commandments, He is leading your mind to be reintegrated with your heart. And our ethics are not just meant because that's just what God said, because this is what a whole life, a whole integrated life looks like. Holiness is a response to the overwhelming experience of the gospel in our lives, not a to-do list to stay out of hell. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, this is the New Living Translation, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Like Even when you get accused of stuff, live in such a way that they go, wow, like they're different. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The two things that Jesus constantly said are a great threat to your soul is sexual immorality and money. (laughs) The misuse of money. When it becomes a god or an idol, then it becomes incredibly unhealthy. Otherwise, it becomes incredibly useful. as most of us realize when we make our house payment or our utility payment. But when it becomes the thing, the ultimate, then it begins to corrupt something within us because we need that. We begin to enter into a scarcity mindset. I need for me, not for us. You can't serve two masters. Culture, when we look at the culture, we know that there is a money grab. What do I got to do to earn the most and keep the most? We also know that kind of in this world in which we live, sexuality, everything's up for grabs. Everything. What we know, statistically speaking, is within the church and outside the church, everything is up for grabs sexually. And yet, God says, oh, there's something beautiful about two people that are committed for their entire lives together. And it creates something sexually between them that is of incredible value. But when we begin to degrade, as, as Black China talks about it, I mean, this is, how she, this is how she became a household name. Degrades us. Poisons our souls. We can't enter into relationships in the committed way that we could. What does it look like to avoid sexual immorality? Because holiness is a stance that is counter to a culture that fractures our souls. Let me say that again. Holiness is a stance that is counter to a culture that fractures our souls. We're not just talking about who are we sleeping with. We're talking about who are we looking at on our phones and our computers. What are the images that keep scrolling in our heads? What are the shows that we watch and the movies that we go to what are the stories that we read once we begin to in- introduce other people into our relationship with our spouse we cannot have a healthy relationship with our spouse 
But even if we are fractured in this way, one of the parts of the hopes of the gospel is, okay, so maybe you haven't chosen this way, but there is a way to become whole again. This is part of the the reforming of the life, again, as Black China says. It's me being reborn. It's a new beginning to me becoming whole. This is what is offered us. Tim Keller says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. The church was meant to engage in a culture and demonstrate they're different. Paul says this in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's that mind component that gets severed from our heart. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In his letter to Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or no foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, which awfully sounds like a punishment, right? But I don't think it is. It's not a punishment. It's the reality that when you live by the principles of God, you experience eternal life. When you follow God's commandments, what you experience is real good life. It's not, well, you didn't do it right, so you're out. It's it's the difference in you just, it's not what you wanted, so it's not what you got. And so there's a difference in me saying, God does not want me to steal, so I better not steal, or I'm going to end up in hell, versus I have experienced Jesus and I can't do that to him, and that's not the person I want to be. There's a real difference here. And one of them leads to the kingdom of God, and one of them doesn't. So when we wield it like a weapon, well, you've not good enough. I know your sins. You're not good enough. When we wield it like a weapon, we ourselves are actually pushing people away from the kingdom, not enticing them to the kingdom. We've got to look at holiness differently, not from the stance of, well, God doesn't have standards. But instead, we have to look at it from, this is what a whole life looks like. It doesn't look like giving your body to everybody, and it doesn't look like hoarding all your money for yourself. It looks like a holy community, because a holy community is built on love, not shame. Two most powerful motivators in the world are love and shame. And sometimes, as I look through, if I'm if I'm super honest, and I look back through the way I've tried to 
affect the culture around me, whether it's outside of these walls or whether it's here in a teaching moment. As I look back, I've interchangeably used shame and love at different times. But there's only one of those is what Jesus would have used. And so for, for me, part of me is recognizing I'm still, I'm, I'm a lot more whole than I was. But there's still a bit of a, 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 a cut here between my head and my heart. And one of those for me is... How can, I, how can I vanquish shame as a tool in my arsenal? Because it's a highly effective tool. How do I vanquish shame? How do I portray more love? Matthew 22, talking to Jesus again, the whole point of everything. When the Pharisees heard, he had silenced the Sadducees. He was so good at that, but he didn't silence them with shame. He just kind of made an argument they couldn't argue against, which I just, I know people like that. They're incredibly frustrating. I think the Sadducees and the Pharisees probably got frustrated with Jesus a lot, but he said when they, when they found out he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I mean, there's just a part of experiencing overwhelming grace and mercy and forgiveness. It just changes us. And for some of us, we've, we're carrying a lot more brokenness than maybe some of the people we're sitting next to. It's real easy to look and judge by behavior, but we can't really see what all is happening within your heart and within your soul and all that's happened to you. You could leave today still feeling like a failure. And I mean, if I'm honest, at times when I look at this, I mean, I think I've come a long way. I still, I still come through the topic of holiness feeling like a failure. But I, I, I still don't, that's not the way Jesus wants us to come away from it. Wants us to come away with an invitation, not a judgment. He wants us to come away with new purpose, not fear. He wants us to come away, experience wholeness, and stop trying to piecemeal our lives together and pretend that we're whole when really we're just a glued together piece of fragments. And ultimately, as a community that begins to live this way, and I just, again, I would encourage you as you leave this place, depending on your background, for one, thinking about this Black China story, and for one, what kind of church was it that loved her to the place where she is now when her behavior had not yet changed? What kind of community loved her to the place where she is now that at the time there was no behavioral change, or at least not, not as much. How can we be that community? The second thing I would like to consider is she would not come to a place of wholeness today if we had said, you know what, keep doing OnlyFans. God loves you. You know what, you don't, don't change a thing. What's happened has happened. Keep doing what you're doing. You know what, you're a new person now. 
and just keep doing your thing because God is gracious and merciful and he loves you just how you are because that is not an expression of love. That is an expression of stay fractured. If you sense a tension between these things, (laughs) welcome to the kingdom because we are supposed to deal with this tension. It is good to deal with this tension. But if we have to err on one side or the other, let's love people to the kingdom rather than try to shame them there. All right? Because a holy community brings wholeness to the community around it. Pray with me. Father, I know.